service, we're going to have an ice cream social as well, ran by the, um, uh, the, um, the uh, what, what's the name of your class for their own? Family Foundation class, there it is, uh, ran by the Family Foundation class, so we'll have a good time with that. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, Mark chapter 6, verse 47 through verse 52, we'll be reading responsibly. And we'll begin reading there. In ver- I'll begin reading in verse 47. We will read the even verses together out loud. I'll read the odd verses alone. The Bible says there, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Let's pray. God, I pray today as we turn our attention to your scriptures, to your word, Lord, that you'd help us to not only understand it, but Lord, to be changed by it. And Lord, there's a lot of mental understanding that goes on in truth, but then a lot of unchanged lives of people when they walk out. Lord, may that not be said about any of us today. God, may something in our lives be altered for the better because we've been at church Because we've been around God's people, we've been around the singing, and Lord, heard about how you are king, and you reign supreme. And we're thankful for that, we find security in that. But Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, may God's word change our hearts. And the preaching of God's word, may it resonate with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I've got six pictures that I'm going to put up on the screens here. And uh, they're in sets of three. So, uh, two sets of threes. The first three all have one thing in common. And the second set of three have one thing in common. So, Brother Matt, there, if you'll let about five seconds pass for each picture there, and we'll look at those. Take, take the pictures in one at a time and, and see if you can figure out what they have in common. Um, okay, we'll put the next one up there. All right. Now, hold, just hold it there. Those three all have one thing in common. All right, go ahead and throw the next three up there for us. All right, did anybody raise your hand if you think you know what the difference is between the second set of pictures and the first set of pictures? Anybody? A couple hands? How many of you have no idea whatsoever? You're just totally lost right now. The first set of pictures, they're all pictures of the woods, right? The first set of pictures, there is no way out of the woods. It's just a jumbled set of trees. The second three pictures, we're going to do that again, just so you know, we're going to go through the six pictures again. The second set of pictures all have a path out of the woods. Now, I decided to have those put up there. I was reading this week about a distinguished painter who was conducting a class for aspiring artists, and he was speaking on the subject of artistic composition, he emphasized that it was wrong, for example, to portray a woodland, a forest, or a wilderness without painting into it a path out of the trees. He said when a true artist draws any kind of picture, for instance a landscape, he always gives the picture an out. An out. You with me here? 
Uh, otherwise, the tangle of trees and trackless spaces depress and dismay the onlooker. Now, let's quickly go through the three. Pause on that third picture there for me, Brother Matt, uh, and let's look at them again. Look at that. No out of the trees. Next one. Uh, there's just a there's an opening clearing there. There's no way out. You're kind of stuck in there. And then the third picture there. Look, you even have a depressed man in the picture. You know why he's depressed? Because he can't find his way out of the woods. At least that's my opinion. Throw the next three up there. Ah, there's your out. You can see a way out of the woods. Next. And then you had to get a boat to get out of that one. But unless there's a way out. And then the next picture, you see the clearing out of the woods down the way. Um, you ever felt that way in life? Like you're in the middle of a bunch of trees and you can't find your way out? You wander and you wander and you wander and you wander. Listen, I've been, um, I, I've been, go, I've, I've been out camping and things in my life and, and I can remember being out in the woods. How many of you have ever been lost in the woods for any amount of time? Would you raise your hand? That is a scary feeling, isn't it? You don't know where you're at. You're hoping to stumble across some path or some road. Uh, uh, you're happy to see anyone, even if it's uh, Freddy Krueger. You don't care who it is. You just need to see someone who can tell you where to go and what to do. And and and, and you, you you just you're, it, it's scary. You know, you're walking around, and after about an hour, you see a rock, and you're like, I'm pretty sure I passed that rock an hour ago. Uh, or you're with someone else and you know, you're confident. Oh, I know where I'm going. Maybe you don't think you're lost and the other person, man, they're just wringing their hands. I think we're lost. I, I, I've been through, we've been, I, I've, every, every tree they see, they've seen before. You know, that's how, that's how it goes. And, and, but look, the seriousness of this is that sometimes in life when we're having, when we're having problems, we can feel like we're lost in the woods. That there's no path out. You wandered off the trail that the Bible told you to stay on. And you're lost. You're lost. You ask, Pastor, I'm in the woods. I'm wandering around. Uh, I can't figure out how to get out. What do I do? To use the analogy here of the Scriptures, uh, the story we read, you're in a storm. You're in a boat out in the middle of the waters and the, the storm is raging. The boat is rocking. You're, you're seasick. You're tired. You're weary. You say, Pastor, what do I do? I, I don't see an end to the storm inside. I checked my weather app and the wind's going to be blowing for another 12 hours, 18 hours, 48 hours, whatever it is. I don't see a way out. And Pastor, I'm wore out in the storm. Is the storm ever going to stop? Am I ever going to find my way out of the woods? And I would say this, um, I would tell you that the Master is going to come passing by. The question isn't, can you? The question is, can He? And the answer is a resounding, yes, He can. Yes, He can. The Lord can handle any storm that you're in. He can handle any problem that you're having. Uh, the proper question isn't, will the storm be over, but will you cling to the Master while you're in the storm? My friend, I'll tell you today, there is always a path out of the woods. Always. All of you raise your hand, or many of you raise your hand saying you've been lost in the woods. If you're here today, that means you found your way out. It may have taken you a while, but you found your way out. Sometimes we go through problems and we think there's no way out of the woods. There's always a way out of the woods. There's always a way out of the woods. There's an always an end to your storm. But here's the key. You cannot let the Savior pass you by. 
In our story here, you have the disciples rowing and toiling. Jesus comes down out of the mountain from praying, and he, uh, he walks out on the storm, and he sees the disciples, and the Bible very interestingly says he would have walked right on by. He would have passed right by them. Oh my. Can you imagine that? Here comes Christ. Here comes the Savior passing by, and we just let Him go. We're too busy trying to take care of ourselves. We don't step up and let Him help us. I propose that in every one of life's storms, there is a greater good that God is trying to accomplish in our lives. Sometimes He's trying to strip away a sinful habit. He allows a storm in our life because He sees a, a sinful habit that's there that He knows needs to go. Sometimes He's trying to grow our faith. He sees where you're at in your Christian life and he says the faith could be stronger. So a storm comes in to see just how much you trust. Sometimes the reason why the storm comes is because he's trying to prove a point to Satan. Just like he did with Job. Hey, have you not considered my servant Job? He's perfect and upright. He, he, he's just, he eschews or hates evil. And Satan says, yeah, that's because you won't let me get to him. God says, no, that's not why. And God allowed Job's life to get terrible so that a point could be proven to Satan. Let me say this morning, every storm, every storm has a purpose. Every storm is an opportunity for you to grow closer to your Savior. Here's the truth. We all go through storms in our lives, every one of us. You say, but pastor, my storm is worse than everyone else's. It's probably not. Probably not. Two, two people were wandering around complaining about how bad their life's problems were and they decided to switch problems, to, to swap problems. And after about a day, they both asked for their own problems back. They both asked for their own problems back. You might think that your problems are awful. I promise you someone's got it worse. Right now we're going through all this with April. And just to be real personable and relate with you, uh, April's medical uh, problem right now is nowhere near the level of some of yours. And so I'm not asking for a sob story, but more or less trying to be touchable and personable with the church here. Um, i got to say, I have been shocked that we've taken April to five doctors. And all of, us, all of them have been able to tell us what's not, what, what isn't wrong with her, but none of them have been able to tell us what is wrong with her. And it's like, wow. You guys are really good at taking this in and saying, well, it's not this. Okay, we figured that. It's not that. Okay, but we really don't know what it is. Oh, by the way, we're going to send you a bill in the mail. Here, here's a heavy bill in the mail you got to pay, even though we couldn't figure out your problem. And we have insurance. All that will be covered, praise the Lord. Uh, but uh, 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 you go through, and right now that's where we're at with April. We don't have any answers. We don't have any answers. We don't know what's wrong with her. We, we're, 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 we're all scratching our heads. Uh, doctors are working on it. They don't have it all figured out. And, and uh, we're, we're seeing some of the best of the best over at Yale. And they're trying to help her. Pray, uh, prayerfully, uh, we'll get to the bottom of it soon enough. And, and again, it's not life-threatening, just uh, uncomfortable for her. But sometimes that's how it can be, is you just don't know what the answer is. You're trying different things and you're, you're, you're battling through your storm, but you just don't know where to go. This morning, as we look at this storm that the disciples face, we consider the fact that we all go through storms in our lives. Let's look at six thoughts about this storm and how the disciples endured this storm. Number one, notice first the timing of the storm. The timing of the storm. Look down with me at verse 47 of Mark chapter 6 there. 
The Bible says there, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he, Jesus, alone on the land. So uh, we see that evening had come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. Here we see that God handpicked the timing of the storm for his disciples. This was handpicked by God, that they would walk through this storm and they would walk through it when they would go through it. When do storms come into our lives? Well, notice with the disciples here that storms came on the heels of spiritual victory. Look back with me at verse 41 of Mark chapter 6. The story we looked at last Sunday morning. It says, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them, and the two fishes divided he among them all, after they did all eat and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. When did this storm come? It came right after they experienced incredible spiritual victory. Can you imagine? Now listen, i got to say, if you were one of the 5,000 plus people there that day, and you were sitting in the very back, you were sitting toward the rear of the crowd, you probably uh, weren't that impressed by the miracle. Maybe you thought, oh yeah, sure. I'm sure some skeptics sitting back there thought, yeah, they say it was five loaves, two fishes, but you know how stories get exaggerated. He probably had an abundance of food that he was just distributing and people made all that up. And the people in the back, they weren't impressed with the miracle. By the way, the further you are from the house of God and the things of God, the less you are impressed with the holy God and the work he does in people's lives. I want to be under the spout where the blessing is pouring out. Amen? Those disciples were right there and they were watching as the bread would get broken and then it would grow back. And then broken again and it would grow back. And then broken again and it would grow back. All the way down until the last mouth was fed and the last belly was filled. Those disciples walked away having filled up twelve baskets full of fragmented food left over. And there they were in this storm right on the heels of an incredible spiritual victory. You think to yourself, oh man, I made a decision for the Lord. I I have surrendered to do this ministry. I I have surrendered to help in that ministry. I have overcome this sinful habit. Uh, My Bible reading is sweeter than it's ever been. My prayer life has been good. I've been witnessing and passing out tracts. Boy, it has been good. And I would say to you, be prepared. Brace. A storm is probably coming. A storm is probably coming. When do storms come? What is the timing of our storms? Well, for the disciples, it followed on the heels of spiritual victory. We see that it also, storms follow, uh, storms rather come in the darkness of night. Their storm came in the darkness of night. Can you flip over to John chapter 6? Hold your place in Mark 6. We're going to look in John 6 a little bit. John 6 gives us the same story here that Mark 6 does. And so, uh, uh, we know that it was dark out when this storm happened. You say, well, it says it was evening. How do you know it was dark out? Well, Mark does not tell us that it was dark out, but John emphasizes the fact that it was dark out. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark. It was dark. When did the storm come? It came when they couldn't see very well. It came when it was hard to see very far at all. You know, oftentimes when problems come, it's when we can't see what's coming down the road. 
we can't understand every detail. We can't understand what's going to happen tomorrow. You wake up one day and you have a good day. You wake up the next day and it's a terrible day. The darkness of the night. Some attributes about darkness is that it, it covers truth. Covers truth. Oftentimes, storms will come in our darkest moments. But I see also here about the timing of this storm that, yes, it came on the hills of spiritual victory. And while, yes, it came in the darkness of the night, it also came when they were all alone. When they were all alone. But look down at verse 17. John 6. It says, And entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Jesus was not come to them. They were alone in the boat. No Jesus around. Just them. You might remember a similar story where Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. Jesus wasn't even in the boat this time. He was just by, they were just by themselves. Where was Jesus? He was up in a mountain praying. We all understand the fact that God is with us everywhere we go, right? We all understand that? Um, in fact, the psalmist understood that as well. David, in one chapter, claimed that God would be with him no matter where he went. You might remember, he said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Wherever I go, there you are. But just a couple chapters later, David turns around and questions God why he feels so alone and abandoned. And I would say, which one is it, David? Is God with you all the time? Or do you feel abandoned? And listen, I'd say I understand the sentiment. Some, we know that God is with us everywhere we go. But there are times where we feel alone. There are times where we feel abandoned. There are times when things are tough and we're in our own storms and we question, God, are you even hearing me? You ever been there where you're praying and you feel like your prayers are just being ignored? That's why you can't go off of feelings. Christianity isn't about feelings, it's about facts. We know that we call unto... John, uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If you call on God, He will hear you even if you don't always feel that way. The timing of the storm. Some of you are in a storm right now. And you think, this is the worst possible time for me to be going through a storm in my life. And I would say to you this, God has divinely selected this time for you to walk through your storm or to go through your storm. God's timing is perfect. Number two, we see the turbulence of the storm. The turbulence of the storm. Look down at verse 48 of Mark chapter 6. Back over in Mark chapter 6. It says there, and he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. The wind was contrary unto them. Now, um, for the disciples, the twelve disciples that were in this boat, four of them were seasoned fishermen, for sure, maybe more. But for sure, we know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were not rooks in the boat. This wasn't their first time going through a storm. In fact, in that in that culture in that time, much like most much of the cultures of the world today, you did what your father did. You carried your father's profession. Peter, Andrew, James and John most likely had grown up in a boat for as long as they could remember. 
since they were little guys. Uh, they, had, they had seen rain, they had seen lightning, they had seen thunder, they had experienced wind, they had seen water crash in the boat before. This wasn't new for them, uh, but nonetheless, this storm wasn't your regular storm. I imagine maybe as the rain started falling and the boat started to rock a little more, here you have Matthew the tax collector who probably hadn't been in a boat much. He starts to feel a little woozy. And maybe he walks over to the edge of the boat and, and that, those fishes and loaves landed in the sea. <laughs> And he's seasick. And old Andrew and John, they're, ah, ha, 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 look at that rookie. He, he's never been in a boat. Uh, look how seasick he is. But then the storm kept getting worse and worse and worse. And boy, Andrew and John, they weren't, they weren't making fun of anybody anymore. They were getting quiet. They were getting serious. It was getting tense. It was getting hard. You see, there was a level of the storm they could handle. No problem. But then this storm was passing the line. This storm was becoming more than even these fishermen could handle. These weathered, experienced fishermen. You know, in my own life, if I'm not careful, I've made a big mistake many times in my life. I will come to a storm in my life that I know I can handle. You know what I'll do? The same thing you're tempted to do. I rely on my intellect. I rely on my resources to navigate the storm. You know, those storms right there, I grow the least. I learn the least. Life's lessons are not learned when I am the one navigating my own way through life's storms. I don't grow that much. You say, Pastor, I am in a storm that is fierce. I am in a storm that is nasty. Do you know God knows how much you can handle without His help? He knows to push you beyond that point. You say, well, God, oh, Pastor, will God give me more than I can handle? Yes. Yes. You know why? Because He's tired of you relying on yourself. And He wants you to turn to Him and say, I, there's nobody else I can call. There's nothing else I can say. There's no more money I can give toward the problem. There's nobody, no more experts out there that can help me. God, it's me and it's you and I'm lost and I need you. That's where God wants to bring you to. When your back's up against the wall, there's nothing you can say or do to rectify the situation. Oftentimes, that's when we rely on God. Are you in a turbulent storm, Christian? Is it more than you can handle? I promise you, I promise you, God can handle it. God can handle it. Number three, we see the toil in the storm. The toil in the storm. Look with me at verse 48 of Mark Chapter 6 there, it says, And he saw them toiling and, ro- toiling and rowing. They were toiling and rowing. Look down at the end of the verse. And about the fourth watch of the night, it says. About the fourth watch of the night. Back up with me there to Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Let's look at how much these men had toiled even prior to getting in the boat. Look at verse 31 of Mark chapter 6. It says there, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. 
For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They had no leisure so much as to eat. So here you have these men. They've been working and ministering and serving on such a level. They didn't have time to, to take a lunch. You ever been there where you're so busy you turn around and it's dinner time and you didn't even eat lunch? You ever have that happen to you? That was the disciples. They were going and they were laboring and they were working. Some of these men had left behind families and, and all of them had left behind professions to, to follow Christ and be His disciples and be trained by them. Uh, we know that Christ told one man, He said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not place to lay His head. Jesus was homeless. Jesus spent many nights sleeping out under the stars with His head on a rock in a field and the disciples laying there next to Him. They were weary. They were tired. Jesus looked at these twelve frayed, exhausted men who had been working so hard doing everything He told them to do. He said, guys, we need a vacation. He said, let's go into a desert place and let's take a break. They get to the desert and they turn around. And as soon as they get there, here comes a mob of 5,000 men and all their women and children coming and walking toward them. Now you say, how did that make the disciples feel? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say you had a month of just neck break speed work. You're missing meals. You're getting four hours of sleep at night. You're in the office early. You're staying late. I mean, it's just total mayhem. You are exhausted. Your boss looks at you. Your eyes are bloodshot. You're living on caffeine. And he says to you, you need a vacation. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'm sending you to the Bahamas. You get to the Bahamas and you get your suntan lotion all on. You get in your little chair by the, by the water. You get your little lemonade drink with, a, with an umbrella in it. That's the only kind of drink Christians put umbrellas in, amen. You're sitting there and you're getting ready to take that first sip. And you take that first big breath. And you look down and your phone's ringing. And you pick it up and your boss says, you got to get back here right now. We've got the biggest emergency you've ever seen. I've already bought your ticket. Your plane's taken off in an hour. How'd that make you feel? That's how the disciples felt. They needed a break. And they turn around and here come all these people. And I'm sure the disciples are going, good night. Will you please just tell them to go away? We need a break! And Christ looks at him with eyes of compassion. Instead of pushing him away, he brings him to himself. And my friends, they ministered in a desert place, a hot, dry desert place. They ministered all day, helping Christ as he touched the eyes of the blind. And he took the deafness away from those who couldn't hear. And, and, and gave walking to those who were lame. And, and healed the leprous of their disease. And, and maybe gave a mute man the ability to speak in all the various Ways that Christ ministered that day as He taught and as He preached. They were already tired before they got there. But by the end of the day, now Christ is having them serve 5,000 plus people. Anybody here ever work a waitress, waiter or waitress job? Boy, that's a hard work, isn't it? Can you imagine serving food buffet style to 5,000 plus people? 
Boy, I'm sure they were exhausted from that alone. They got done with that. Everybody left. Somebody had to do the cleanup. Anybody here ever had to clean up after an event? I used to be an athletic director, and we'd have huge basketball games, volleyball games in our gym, and have drink, have drink soda bottles and nacho cheese uh, trays, and someone's got to walk around and pick all that up, and someone's got to sweep the floor, and someone's got to take out the trash, and everyone leaves, and I was left there with just a handful of people to get it done. Exhausting. And they get done with all that. They were exhausted before the day even started, and Christ puts them in a boat and says, sends them on over to Capernaum. He goes up in a mountain to pray and they probably thought, well, this will be medicinal. A little ride in a cruise boat across the water. And then they get hit with a storm. They got hit with a storm. My friend, God sees you toil. He sees your work. He knows your schedule. My friend, they didn't even just row for a couple of hours in the storm. Back in verse 48, it says that Christ came to them in the fourth watch of the night. That means they came, Christ came to them between 3 and 6 a.m. 3 and 6 a.m. They've been rowing all night long. The toil in the storm. Some of you have been toiling for a long time in your storm. You know what Christ wants you to do? Christ wants you to toil but to trust. Toil but trust. Number four, we see the terms of Christ's help. The terms of Christ's help. I know um, I'll buy a... uh, an electronic product on my computer. Maybe it's tax software. Maybe it's a new operating system. And you get to that page and it says, click here uh, in order to proceed. And what does it say right above that? I have read the terms of service and agree to them. Let me ask you a question this morning. Don't lie in church. How many of you have ever actually read the entire terms of service? You're all a bunch of liars. Because you said you did. They even have that option that says, click here if you want to download them to read later. Anybody here ever click that? I don't click that. Uh, Brother John back there is raising his hand. You're the only one in the room, brother. Uh, uh, You have to have a doctorate degree in vocabulary to even be able to read half those words. You need a lawyer to be able to tell you what you're agreeing to. And we're probably signing all of our uh, all of our uh, security away by clicking accept and continue. But those are the terms of service. The terms of service. That is the basically the contract that you're bound to with that uh, uh, with that software, that product by. And in that, there are things you cannot violate, and there are things they tell you that they won't violate. And Christ here, He has some terms. For his service. If he's going to step in and help you through your storm, if he's going to step in and help you calm the rough waters of your life, he's going to give you that path out of the woods, then boy, there are some things that you're going to have to keep in mind. There are some terms to his service, if you will, if you want him to step in and serve you. I'll tell you this morning, some of you have been going through a long, hard journey of trials. And you think, Pastor, I'm tired just like those disciples were. I'm ready for Christ to step in and help me. I'm ready to trust. What do I got to do to get Him to do that? Well, let me quickly give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A, first notice, our free will. Our free will. Let me ask you this morning. 
Are there people that label you as stubborn? I didn't ask if you think you're stubborn. If you regularly hear people say, boy, he's stubborn. Oh, she's stubborn. Some of you here, if you're stubborn, let's be honest, you know it. You may be living in self-denial, but you know it. You have a free will. Are you self-reliant? Oh, I got this. I got this. Don't tell me how to do it. You, uh, you buy one of those self-assembly kits, and uh, you know where it says some assembly required, and it comes with like 1,400 pieces? You know the ones I'm talking about? Some of you here are so self-reliant, you just throw the directions away and go right at it. I was that way when I first got married. Not anymore. Boy, I've step by step all the way through. Self-reliant. You, you, you're in a problem. You think, oh, I got this. I, I got it. Don't tell me what to do. I know, what, I know how to handle it. Here's a grave, profound question for you. Are you unaware of just how weak you are in comparison to an all-powerful God? Look, you are this little peon compared to a holy, powerful God. Why are you trying to toil in the storm alone? We're talking about the Master of the Seas. We're talking about the man that can step out on the water and say, Peace be still, and cause it all to stop immediately. And we toil, and we labor, and we work. And God steps back and says, Okay, if you want to do it on your own. Okay, if you want to go at it all by yourself. Okay, I'm going to step by the side and I'm going to watch you do it. Look at verse 48 there with me. It says, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them. Now notice this, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Here you have the disciples. Whose disciples? Christ's disciples. Christ's disciples whom he loved. Christ's disciples whom he was invested in. Christ's disciples who he was training. Christ's disciples who were in peril and danger. Now, i got to say, my inclination if I was in Christ's shoes would have been to run right up in the boat and say, it'll be okay, guys. Not Christ. He sees these men. He comes walking out of the water. And the Bible says he was going to walk right past them. Just let him be. He was going to walk right past them. You know, God's a gentleman. He's not going to just insert Himself into your life. If you want Him to help you with your problems, you've got to make first contact. You've got to make first contact. Some of us are so stubborn, we think we can fix it ourselves. I'm reminded of a story of a man who bought one of the first Model T's invented by Mr. Henry Ford. And he was driving that thing around uh, down a road and it broke down on him. And Mr. Ford came up behind the man and saw the man's head down under the hood and trying to fix it. And, and he recognized that it was his car. So he pulled over and he got out and he walked up behind the man. Uh, and the man never, uh, never, never looked up to see him. And Mr. Ford said to him, he said, Hey, sir, you having a problem with your car? And the man said, Yes, I'm busy, but thank you, I am. And he said, Would you like some help with your car? And the man said, No, I, I think I've got it all fixed. Figured out. No, thank you, sir. And he said, but sir, I know quite a bit about that car that you're working on. I think I could probably help uh, diagnose the problem quicker and get you down the road. And the man said, without ever taking his head out from under the hood, he said, no, sir, I've got it figured out. I'm not interested in your help. Uh, please uh, have a good day. And so Mr. Ford turned around and said, okay. Got in the car and he pulled away. God wants to help you. God 
created you. God created life. God knows how to handle your problems. But you have a free will. And until you lay down that stubborn, self-reliant attitude, He is not going to inject Himself in your situation. Our free will, letter B, we see our faith. Our faith. As you go through life's storms, you have a choice. Faith or fear. Faith or fear. You know, when we toil, we become tired. When we become tired, we become irrational. When we become irrational, it's in part because we've lost perspective. You should never make big decisions when you're tired. You should never make big decisions when you're, uh, when you're angry, when you're emotional. It's not the time to make big decisions. Here the disciples were tired and their faith lacked. Faith lacked. I really do believe today that God did not intend for us to be as busy as we are. There's a big part of me that would love to go back 200 years and live in a time where you got up with the sun and then you went to bed when the sun went down. You lived off the crops of your field or the, someone else's crops you bought in the marketplace and life was slow. Was slow. There wasn't the hustle and the bustle. Wasn't all the electronics. You know, they keep inventing all these electronic devices that are supposed to make our life more convenient. But what it does is it frees up more time for us to ramrod something else into the schedule. We become busier and we're more afraid. What happens is we become more worried. We become more fearful. Some of you here today, you struggle with fear. You're in a storm and you're fearful of what's going to happen. My friend, the answer is to choose faith. Others of you here, you don't struggle with fear. Others of you here are probably more like me. You, um, you're just not real worried about life. Some people live with life in mind that 90% of problems run off the road before I get to them. And, you know, the other 10%, I'll deal with them when they come. That's my attitude. That's always been my attitude. And I understand that's just how I'm wired, and some people are wired that way, others aren't. My attitude is if I get busted in the mouth and I get a bloody nose or a bloody lip, it'll heal. Big deal. I'll get up and keep moving. Life goes on. Other people will wring their hands for a week that someone might punch them in the mouth. Some of you here, your problem isn't fear or faith. Your problem is faith in yourself versus faith in God. You think you can do it by yourself. Oh, I can navigate this storm. When are you going to put your hands down and say, I'm going to call on the Lord to help me navigate the storm? If your problem here is fear, the answer is this. Have faith in God. If your problem here today is that you rely on yourself, the answer is this. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Our faith. Let her see we see His faithfulness. As I mentioned earlier in the terms of service, that it is an agreement that bonds the seller and the buyer. God is giving us His service. And He is promising us that if we will do certain things... He will come through for us. The Bible does a great job describing directly the faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy describes Him as the faithful God. The psalmist tells God for His faithfulness. Isaiah brags, Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and true. Jeremiah says that God is a true and faithful witness. And 1 Corinthians proclaims that God is faithful. 
If you're in a storm and you call out for God to help you, He will never pass you by. However, He's not just looking for you to call on Him with your mouth. He's looking for you to call on Him with your life. With your actions. It's one thing to say, oh God, help me! But you just keep doing your own thing. You know what He wants? He wants you to trust Him all the way. Trust Him all the way. I turn over the captainhood, the captainhood of the ship. I turn over the position of captain of the ship to you. You guide me through my problem. Number five, we see the troubled disciples. The troubled disciples. Look back at Mark chapter 6, verse 49. The Bible says, And when they saw Him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. They all saw Him and were troubled. And immediately He talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Letter A, notice their focus. Here you have the Messiah. You have the Christ. He is walking to them to rescue them from their peril. And how did they view Him? They viewed Him as another problem. Here you have their Savior coming to them, and they're afraid of Him. It's a spirit. Now, I love that the S in spirit is, is, is lowercase because they viewed Him as being an inferior spirit, not the, not the Spirit of God. They viewed Him as being inferior. And, and, and He cried out to them and said, Look, your focus is in the wrong place. They were focused on the wrong things. Christian, are you going through a storm right now? You're going through a storm with your bills? you got a stack of bills this high? you got money about that high. Good night. How am I ever going to pay these bills? If your eyes are on the bills and not the Savior, then your eyes are on, you're focused on the wrong thing. Some of you here have health concerns, and you're like April, you don't know what the answer is. It might be way more serious than what my daughter's going through. You've been through a long storm, and you think, I don't see the path out, I don't see the end of the storm. You're focused on the wrong thing. Some of you here today are going through relationship struggles. Things aren't good between you and your boss at work. Things aren't good with your children, your adult children. Things aren't good with a, a neighbor, a co, a co-worker. Things aren't good with uh, an aunt or an uncle or some relative. You're having serious relationship problems and you've tried to resolve it. You've tried to fix it. You, you've tried to be careful. But it seems like the harder you try to fix that relationship, the deeper the hole gets dug. And you just throw up your hands and you say, God, there's nothing else I could say to that person. There's nothing else I could do to rectify the situation. It's bad. It's awful. What do I do? And I would tell you, your eyes are on the wrong thing. Some of you here today, your work is in question. You're, you're struggling at work. Maybe you don't have the best situation at work. You have a, a, a godless employer or you have a, a nasty politics or whatever the case might be. And you say, I, I'm in the middle of a storm, Pastor. I would tell you, your focus is on the wrong thing. Some of you here are going through bitterness. Somebody hurt you a long time ago. Someone let you down. You've tried to deal with it, but the bitterness bug just keeps coming back and biting you. You just can't get past it. I tell you, you're focused on the wrong thing. Others of you here aren't bitter. You're not bitter. But you have past hurts. You're not blaming anyone. But it's just an open, oozing wound. 
You don't know what to deal with it. And I tell you, you're like these disciples. Your eyes are on the storm. You're not focused on the right thing. Why were the disciples troubled? They were troubled because they were focused on the wrong thing. Some of you this morning, you're sitting there and you're, you're like a little lamb. You're just shaking with fear over a problem. It keeps you up at night. You're worried. You're afraid. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. Others of you, it doesn't keep you up, but it's like a weight sitting on your chest. You carry it with you everywhere you go. You don't know what the answer is. You, you feel lost in the woods. You don't know where to go. You don't know how to handle it. You don't know when the storm's going to end. And you think, Pastor, I'm trying not to let it dominate my thinking, but I just can't help it. I find myself talking about it all the time and thinking about it all the time. I'd say, you got to learn to take your eyes off the storm. Letter B, we see their forgetfulness. Look at verse 52 of Mark chapter 6. It says, Therefore they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Here you have these disciples just a few verses later distributing five loaves and two fishes to probably about 20,000 people. They took five little loaves of bread and two fishes and fed 20,000 people and had leftovers. They just watched the Christ who some of them didn't understand yet was the Christ. But this prophet, as far as they were concerned, do such a great miracle, and now they're all worried about a storm. You know what I call that? I call that short-term memory loss. Like to the nth degree. (laughs) Um, This is bad short-term memory loss. Bad, bad, bad. Hey, you guys, you're out in this boat, and and, and yeah, it's, it's bad, and you've been out there all night. But isn't there something down in your heart that says, well, just a minute, guys, hang on. The master who just fed the crowd, he's on the shore, and he sees the storm. He can take care of this. He can take care of this. There are a few times in Scripture I think back to, and I think of bad short-term memory loss. And there are several I could give you, and many of them I'd have to develop because they're not familiar stories. But there's one familiar story I don't have to develop. You guys all remember the parting of the Red Sea? They're there, they're, they're trapped, they're landlocked. And Moses stands up and holds up the rod and the, 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 what a miracle. Wow. Maybe the most spectacular miracle in the Bible. The, the walls of water stand up, the land instantaneously dries and across they go. The Egyptian army comes in, the, the waves crash, they stand there, Miriam leads them in a song of praise. Not seven days later, they're standing on the banks of the, of, of the Mara, uh, of the body of water called Mara, and they're thirsty. I'm so thirsty, Moses. How you lead us out here to die? Wait a minute, guys. You just saw God part the Red Sea. Aren't you going to turn back and go, the God that did that can provide us water out here? You know, I've got to be honest. I'm befuddled by that. I'm baffled by that. I'm left speechless at times thinking about that. Then I look at my own life. I remember all the times God's come through for me. And I step back and say, I think I can be a little forgetful sometimes too. The storm's raging in my life now, and I forget about what He did for me then. Christian, you've got to come to a place where your faith carries you through storms. And then when you get into a storm, it's not focused on the storm, it's focused on the past of Christ conquering your storms. I can remember being a Bible college student and just not being able to pay my bill sometimes. Not knowing where the money was going to come from. God always found a way to pay the bill. Every time. I'm the oldest of seven children. And I can remember um, 
uh, calling home one point. I was just financially strapped. I think they had cut back hours at work, and I just didn't have the money to pay the bill. And and uh, and I didn't take a student loan. I paid month by month. And and I got down to the end of the month, and I was about to get financially withdrawn. I was already late. And I called home. I said, Dad, emergency. I need some money. And he said, I've got eight mouths to feed at home. I don't have any money to send you. I'm sorry, son. Miraculously, the money showed up and, and paid the bill. You know, I get into a storm now, a financial storm. I look back. I say, God, you came through me back for, through for me back there. I know you can do it now. Right after we were married, uh, I was hired by a church and unhired before I could start. And then uh, the job I was working ended. It was a it was a contract job. The job ended, and I had a brand new child of, of three months old. And here I am, uh, a wife and a kid, and a, and a lease that's about to run out of an apartment, and no income. And my car broke down on the same day. I got all that news. No idea what to do. No idea where to go. Tears in my eyes. God trying to grow my faith. Listen, you go through these storms and you learn to remember how God has come through you before. You look back and you say, I'm not going to focus on the storm. I'm going to focus on the master of the storm. The Bible says here that their hearts were hardened because they did not remember the miracle of the loaves. I don't know about you. I don't want to have a hard heart. You want to have a hard heart? Start forgetting about how good God's been to you. Number six, and lastly, we see the termination of the storm. We'll go through this quickly. The termination of the storm. Look down at verse 51. The Bible says, And when he went up, when he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And he went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wandered. When Christ was allowed, now here's my statement, when Christ was allowed in the boat, the storm ceased. Some of you have been toiling for a long time in your storm. But you're toiling, you're toiling, but you're not trusting. You're not trusting. This morning, the Savior is passing by your storm. What are you going to do with Him? Are you going to ignore Him? Just let Him walk on by? Oh God, I got this. Trust me, He can make the storm a whole lot more fierce than you can handle. This morning the Savior's passing by. Will you misunderstand Him? Will you perceive Him to be something He isn't? Or are you going to trust Him? Are you going to invite Him into your boat? Are you going to let Him call the shots so that He can calm the storm? Sometimes when God calms in the boat, He calms the storm. But if He doesn't calm the storm, He's guaranteed to calm His child. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. The song says, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by.